as much as I'd love to say that I have my finger on the pulse of what's in the news and I knew that the negative impacts of social media would become a news story this week, I have to admit I got lucky. There was a story in the Wall Street Journal this week uh, that talked about research that Facebook had done into its own uh, social media platform, Instagram, and basically determined that Instagram is, quote, harmful to a sizable percentage of young users. And if you've ever used Instagram, obviously it's a photo sharing website, but a lot of the content on there uh, is attractive people sharing pictures of their lives and what they do. And, and, and you know, when you've got these kids, uh, formative young minds using Instagram and looking at these pictures, it can create a negative self-image because lo and behold, you don't look like that supermodel on Instagram. I don't look like that supermodel on Instagram either. And I find it noteworthy that even Facebook knows that Instagram is bad for kids. And in response, uh, a group of lawmakers got together, uh, included in that group, Representative Kathy Castor from here in Florida, sent a letter to Facebook urging Facebook to cease all efforts to develop a version of Instagram for kids under 13. Now, we'll probably look into this again. And, and of course, you know, I have to use my personal life uh, as an example. Uh, obviously, my kids are getting older. They're eight and six, but eventually they're going to want to get into social media. They're going to want to get onto Instagram. They're going to want to get onto Facebook. And so I'm going to have a difficult decision to make there as to whether or not I will allow them to get on it. But let's get right back into our conversation with Nick Esposito of Cybersecurity Fanatics, because he actually gave a TED Talk on the subject of unplugging from social media. So we have, a, I think, a very serious problem. Uh, and I, I think that the problem really stems, if you look at it specifically in the younger generation. You know, I don't know how old you are, but, uh, you know, I'm Gen X. And, uh, you know, I didn't necessarily grow up completely ensconced in this. I did not grow up with Google and all of that. And when I speak to, to grade school kids or high school kids, it blows their mind when, they, when I tell them that I'm older than Google. But there was a massive longitudinal study done uh, basically by the U.S. government, some researchers, and it was all compiled into a book by a woman named Jean Twenge, and it's called iGen. And they noted that from about 2011, when Facebook exploded onto the screen until basically today, that kids between the ages of about 13 and 18 have a very serious problem in the sense that the thoughts of depression and suicidal rates rose significantly for boys, but absolutely exploded for girls. The internet has given us a lot of anonymity. It's given us the ability to basically, you know, from the safety of our own homes and our own keyboards, say whatever we want to say with almost no fear of retribution, not to mention misinformation and everything else. And so by virtue of that, if we are essentially letting the younger generation, meaning that generation that wasn't raised completely ensconced in technology and online 24 hours a day, like I presume you and, and I definitely was, then what, we have to, what they have to understand is that there's a world above and beyond that, that even though their life may revolve around the Twitters, the Snapchats, the TikToks of the world, that there's more to it than that, that, that it is healthy to stay away from that because there is so much toxicity on the internet and it is very hard to police. So right now, uh, you know, this week actually is the unofficial, uh, you know, cyber stalking awareness week. 
And it goes hand in hand with cyberbullying that we've seen an absolute rise of and just some absolute horrible stories for this. But we basically have these phones that have Facebook on there, uh, and, and it, is an, it is a known addictive product. In fact, the, the guy, it wasn't Mark Zuckerberg, I cannot remember his name, but the guy that was a very early Facebook employee that actually created the like system deeply regrets that, that he actually came up with that concept because he has seen what it has done psychologically as an impact uh, you know, to basically uh, the generation that was raised with Facebook in that ecosystem. And, and so by virtue of that, people need that hit. They need that endorphin hit. So they're constantly checking their phones. It's a huge, huge problem that we have right now. And so getting into a standard where we are unplugging, and I'm not saying abandoning technology, but just taking time off of technology, I think is just beyond important. So I'm a Gen Xer like you, and I remember a world before social media. I had uh, car phones in the car and corded, corded uh, remote controls and corded phones. So I remember right. the world before the Internet and all that. How did we get – I'm a Gen Xer. How did we get to where we are now? Well, I mean, it's the march of progress, right? I, you know, I, I mean, imagine when the automobiles came on uh, – you know, came first on the scene and you and I are talking about how we remember horse and buggies. And, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's that kind of thing. Progress doesn't stop. Technology doesn't stop. Uh, you know, and as the Internet has brought us together, the original vision of the Internet was to give us open communication, to allow us to collaborate, to research, to do all of those things. And that is happening. But as we basically expanded the Internet out into every corner of our lives, it runs essentially the economy. No business uh, you know, today basically isn't on the Internet anymore or can't be found on the Internet. And so it would make sense that it would essentially start controlling our everyday lives. And when you look at the, essentially the evolution of this from originally in the 1980s and 90s, the bulletin board services and then the consolidation, uh, you know, of a lot of these smaller providers into America online, where we got our first real look just at how we could chat, communicate, collaborate at a at a massive level and also uh, you know, the ensuing lawsuit and Supreme Court decisions over harassment and everything else that uh, basically gave us the uh, Section 230 of the 1996 Communications Decency Act, which enabled the uh, Facebooks of the world to act as publishers essentially without uh, legal binding, meaning you can publish whatever you want and they're not liable. And that's essentially led to this. But as technology then progressed from, you know, the computer in your house to your mobile phone, so now when you leave your house, you're taking your ecosystem with you, it's always with us. And we rely on these things for absolutely everything, whether it's, you know, directions and GPS in the car or, you know, getting an Uber to ordering food to communicating to doing business to school and education. It's, it's everywhere in our lives. And so it would make sense that social media, uh, you know, or the current iteration of social media is basically with us now. And it's 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 not going to slow down. So have we basically been lulled into ignorance uh, because of the way that our phones and these apps have made our lives easier? Yeah, well, part of it is that I think when the Facebooks came around, the world was a lot more trusting of a place. We did not have this massive disinformation campaign uh, that we see. And, and it's multiple disinformation and misinformation campaigns, uh, you know, that are out there. And, I'm not, again, I'm not adjudicating any of them out there. But when we are looking at back at, let's say, 2008, 2009, 2010, when the more early adopters, and, and I know there were ones earlier than that, but that's when they started to see a bit of an upswing in the Facebook, we simply thought, oh, this is another platform. 
we weren't data mined like this through AOL because AOL didn't have an advertising model. They might actually still be alive, uh, you know, today if, if they did. But basically, there was a new concept that was essentially foreign to the entire population. They're given these free products that, that gives them really awesome search results or the ability to connect with their friends or share pictures and all of this without really thinking through the consequences of that decision or how Facebook could offer that ostensibly for free in exchange for what? We didn't think about these things. And I think as the world has, has grown up, if you will, you know, we've become a little more untrusting of, uh, of basically social media platforms, but the world has become a lot more untrusting by virtue of the information that is spilled out on social media platforms on a daily basis. You know, you mentioned AOL, and we've talked about that company on Not in the Mood. Uh, more specifically, the same hedge fund that owns the parent company that I work for, Cox Media Group, just this year purchased Yahoo and AOL for, I think it was $19 billion, something like that. So, yeah, that may be news wow. to you. But believe it or not, AOL is still around. <laughs> right. Well, I know their website exists, and uh, I actually know some older folks that still have AOL.com accounts. But what I'm talking about is the presence, the force that AOL was. You know, they, you, you would never consider AOL a direct competitor to Facebook in, in that sense. So, yes, no, AOL is definitely still around. Uh, some people still do use it. But when you are looking at Google and Facebook, I mean, it's a it's a blip on the radar compared to those two right now. Oh, absolutely. It's 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 amazing. You know, I'm, I'm sure somewhere somebody still has a stack of AOL disks somewhere. But let's let's talk about unplugging and and we've already had a couple of guests in our two previous episodes talking about uh you know kind of setting aside time for you to do your social media scrolling that sort of thing uh beyond that what is a real practical way that we can unplug well i think it's it's a very difficult thing because what you're essentially talking about is breaking an addiction and it is very difficult to wean that off uh wean off of that now there are actually some apps out there uh, you know, that can help you with that. So one, for example, basically says, okay, uh, every time you are off your phone for X amount of time, we're actually going to plant a tree. And so if you get back on your phone within that time period, we're not going to plant the tree, the tree dies kind of thing. And they're actually going to plant a tree. They're, they're aligning themselves with like tree planting nonprofits and stuff like that. So essentially it is, um, it's interestingly enough, but it, it's been called historically, uh, I know it as, and I don't know if it has another name, but it's called the KKK method, as in the Ku Klux Klan. And this is where this comes from. In the 1960s, there was a civil rights activist that wanted to quit smoking. And she didn't know necessarily what to do. So she went to one of her friends and said, if you ever see me pick up a cigarette again and light it up, I want you to donate $5,000 in my name to the KKK. And that was so abhorrent to her that she wouldn't do it. She wouldn't pick up another cigarette again because she knew if she did, basically her mortal enemy was going to get money. And so I think what a lot of organizations, not organizations, what a lot of people need to do, hopefully backed by organizations, uh, is find that thing. Find that, find that alternative to say, you know what, if I'm, if I'm not taking this time, it's going to catastrophically impact me in some way, shape, or form. And I'm not talking about the long-term hit because, you know, oh, oh, I'll keep smoking, but I'm going to die in 30 years, so who cares, right? I'm talking about an immediate, uh, you know, anti-gratification, if you will, to, to try to prevent that. So some people have gone to apps that say, okay, like, you know, I don't, I don't want to see a tree not planted, and that's enough for me to not use my phone for 20 minutes or, 
whatever it is. But I think everybody's got to find that thing that they're looking for, you know, that in their life that basically says, okay, if I do this, there's going to be an immediate negative consequence. And therefore I'm not going to do that because it's more important for me not to do that thing. And that would be, I think, not getting back online every day. And you see it everywhere. I mean, I was just out to, you know, to lunch the other day and there was a young woman, literally she, she, I counted, she took 11 selfies of herself in the 20 minutes. I was at lunch 11 in various poses and everything else. And that's exactly what I'm talking about here. And obviously in your research, you I'm sure have identified emotional and psychological benefits to unplugging. Talk to me about those. Yeah. I, so studies have shown overwhelmingly that, that people just seem uh, healthier. They seem happier. They seem more adjusted. Uh, you know, it's very similar, interestingly enough, to, to studies where people have been fed a steady diet of negative news uh, and then they stop looking at the negative news for a week. You know, it, there are there are definite benefits, uh, you know, psychologically to that. You don't get pulled down. You don't get sucked into drama. Uh, you know, it, it is something that that I think is just beyond important, you know, in the same way that a lot of people go to bed, and I've been guilty of this, I'm the first to admit it, you know, reading things on, on your phone, whether they're good or bad, not having that time to divorce just basically doesn't allow your brain to reset. It doesn't allow you to psychologically get into another place where you can fully relax because this impetus that you have to continuously check your phone to open it, to look at things is always there. So, Breaking that habit has been proven to have just much better uh, health consequences for, for individuals, psychologically and physically as well. Uh, and as we wrap up here, do you have any other advice for us as users to protect not only our personal data, but kind of our own emotional needs and our own psychological needs? Yeah, just, just be aware. I, and I think this is just so important. Just be aware where your apps are made and developed on the cybersecurity side and get, get your, you know, get a good antivirus and a good web filter. But on the psychological side, make sure you're taking that time off. You know, make sure that, that, you know, the news you're reading is as, as fair and balanced as you can. Or, you know, can that, is that drama really need to happen on Facebook? Do I really need to be involved in this? Do I really need to put somebody in their place online? If we can start divorcing ourselves from that, I think we're going to see the world as a much better place. I think we're going to, we're going to look at our fellow neighbors who we may disagree with on various things more as humans and less as the enemy. And that's, I think, a huge problem that we have right now. So make sure you're unplugging. Take some time throughout the day. Maybe you start with 10 minutes a day and then up it to 20 and 30 and all of that. You know, embrace technology, love technology, but understand that, that you as a human being also have limits with what you should be able to take and cope before it really starts dragging you down. And also talk to your kids about this. You know, cyberbullying, uh, you know, online social media is, is very or can be very detrimental actually to their psychological development. You know, studies have shown that if kids adopt social media at age 19, they're way more well-adjusted than they are if they start at 13, which is the legal uh, lowest limit here in the United States. So, so just be aware and make sure to unplug when you can. So I don't know about you, but I really wish I could get off of Facebook and Twitter and all of that stuff. But again, because I'm a member of the media, I have to have uh, an, a, a presence, if you will, on social media. And I have to be on it so I can use my station's Facebook page, my station's Twitter page, that sort of thing. So unfortunately, I can't unplug, but you can. 
And I hope for your sake, for the sake of your interpersonal relationships with your friends and loved ones, for your own mental health, I hope you uh, either take time to unplug from social media or at least use it for the right reasons. Don't allow it to control your life and don't use social media as a source for your happiness and self-worth if that makes any sense to you. But I want to thank you guys for listening. Uh, this was a very uh, difficult subject to broach, and I really feel like we did a pretty good job of talking about the psychological impact of social media and all that thing, and then some strategies about how we can use it uh, a little more intelligently, a little more safely, and uh, protect ourselves in the meantime. So, little housekeeping. I want to thank you for listening to Not in the Mood again. Uh, regardless of where you're listening, whether you're listening on the WDBO app, or if you're listening on Spotify, or uh, Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts or or whatever, wherever you are. I, I ask you to subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you'll be the very first to know when episodes come out because as you know, I don't drop episodes uh, on the same day of every week just because of my life and my work and, and, and my schedule. I just can't dedicate a day every day uh, of, of every week where I can uh, upload new podcast episodes. So, uh, And again, if you ever have uh, an idea for something you'd like me to look into or a subject matter that you'd like to to suggest feel free to email me daryl.moody at cmg.com once again i want to thank you for listening to not in the mood and we'll talk to you next week 